0: As the calendar turned to October in 1970, Janis Joplin succumbed to a heroin overdose four months before her 28th birthday. She followed suit with Jimi Hendrix and Brian Jones, of legendarily influential musicians who passed away at the age of 27. Two decades after Joplin passed, Nirvana frontman Kurt Cobain followed a similar fate. Cobain's mother had persisted with the suicidal frontman during his final months not to join that club the mysterious and heartbreaking 27 Club an unfortunate list of musicians who failed to see their 28th birthday Amy Winehouse the London-born pop star feared a similar fate a 2008 interview with her former personal assistant Alex Haynes noted that Winehouse couldn't help but feel like she was destined for an early death and much like Cobain's mother 15 years before her she feared one day being on that list on July 23, 2011 at her home in Camden Winehouse passed away at the age of 27. She left behind a shocking public persona full of meltdowns and paparazzi-induced panics that directly contrasted her sweet and sensitive onstage persona. Winehouse's lasting legacy remains 2006's Back to Black, an album full of harrowing tales of romance, revenge, and the refusal to give in to anyone else's demands. Back to Black takes influence from 60s girl groups, early waves of ska, and contemporary R&B. It remains a -a one-of-a-kind album in its pursuit for sonic perfection. And above all else, Back to Black is an art school album. Someone that I really enjoy, someone that I like talking to, someone that I sometimes worry we have a little too much in common because I know how hard my life has been just being me, and I can't imagine another person having to deal with that, Uh, and I, I empathize with them because I know it must have been a hard upbringing for them. My guest today is Amy Olive question yes. mark okay Amy Olive I realized I was like I was like you know I'm not locked in on that last name and I forgot to ask before we started recording but my guest today is Amy Olive Amy how are you doing
1: I'm good case how are you how are you
0: oh god what a loaded question it's okay we don't have to get into that Amy I'm excited to have you on the podcast uh for many reasons I think the artist we're talking about today is an incredibly intriguing one. I think your background and the way we diverge in our musical approaches is going to be a fun conversation. We also were ensemble members on the Second City Comedy Studies Semester, No Bits in the Bedroom show, which you can now watch at ComedyStudiesSpring2020Showcase.com. That URL gets longer every single time I read it. But Amy, I wanted to talk to you about Second City just before we dive into the musical end of this, because you were what we call a transfer student. You were not a Columbia College Chicago kid that was... Uh, doing the Second City semester as a part of their major, you were someone that came in from another school and were immediately thrown into the deep end. So I want to know, you know, overall, Second City, how how was your experience?
1: Yeah, I mean, I loved it. I would say it's been probably my best semester of college yet, um, which is ironic since I didn't choose uh, Columbia as a college. Um yeah, I hadn't had any experience writing um, or doing improv outside of, like, theater games. Uh, my experience had been primarily in, in acting and plays and musicals. Um, so going beyond that was really fun. Um, yeah.
0: You were immediately brought into a world of pre-established bits and relationships that had been forming for three to four years at this point between myself And former guests of the show like Jake Klingensmith, Tally Dooley, Blaine McBroom. How did you deal with that? Because we've talked about it a little bit just in our own lives of like, I have a certain way of going about my daily life that can be a little jarring and a little uh, harsh and hard to deal with at times. And I like the transfer students the five of you never even had a chance to ease into that because it was kind of all case all the time in terms of the bits that were being done at second city what i'm really asking is what were your first impressions of me i'm just so morbidly curious
1: well i immediately saw you case and i thought wow that's a man i gotta get to know Uh
0: (laughs) yes a common (laughs) thought among women
1: (laughs) uh yeah uh so i just thought you know how can i go about this program uh making case my best friend and i feel like i was pretty successful with that
0: Um. we hit it off early because we're both anti guacamole and then from there i remember i once said yeah the sopranos is my favorite tv show and amy's voice appeared in the background and said oh i love the sopranos and that's that's kind of when i knew amy was in trouble because it's not healthy for 21 year old women to love the sopranos uh, it's just not good. It's it's a lovely personality trait to me. It is a bad reflection for the rest of society. So I'm very sorry to hear that. Real quick, before we dive into the music, if there was one thing from the Second City semester that you are most proud of, whether it be in the showcase or the B-side, something that is up on the website right now, what would you recommend people go and watch? Uh,
1: I would say... Um... I'm really proud of the our class's uh voice as a whole. I think is very interesting and unique and takes a lot of different perspectives and melds it into one.
0: That was a very calculated answer by Amy. Nobody got offended by that answer. Nobody was complimented by that answer either. A very interesting predicament, Amy put themselves in. Amy, is there anything that you're in that you would like to highlight, or are we just going to play the favorites game here where everybody's a star?
1: Sure. Well, not everyone is a star, okay? I'm not uh, a community service award giver. So. A participation trophy
0: hander outer. You're not one yeah, of those. Yeah.
1: um obviously i would say you and i case are the stars of the show naturally Uh, but i am pretty proud of um the song about maine that maddie roy and i wrote i think is quite funny um and close to my heart being from maine so that's the one i would tell people to go watch
0: i would agree you wrote a beautiful song with Maddie Roy last week's guest, and now that perfectly transitions us because it was a song, mind you, so we have the natural transition into talking about what music were you hearing as a kid, Amy? What sort of sounds do you remember being around your house, maybe that your parents were playing growing up? Tell me about that.
1: Yeah, um, I would say, so my dad would play Frank Sinatra for me uh, instead of lullabies uh, or you know Winnie the Pooh music, so... Um, that was kind of ingrained into my head from an early age. Um, most of my musical preferences come from my dad, uh, who would treat me like a duck and imprint me with his favorite things. <laughs> so, And
0: what's, what's your dad listening to? A lot of Frank Sinatra. Is it sort of that era of stuff? Who else is in that collective? Yeah,
1: he, he likes old, jazzy stuff like that. Um, he likes The Grateful Dead, Doors, The Eagles, um, like Easy Rock type um but you know I've also turned him on to more modern versions of those types of music too
0: what would that be what's a modern equivalent of those god-awful classic rock bands that I wish would go away
1: (laughs) okay well not necessarily rock bands but like Amy Winehouse who we're talking about today is uh has a very similar voice to older 60s music um like like Frank Sinatra like um Edda james and older ones like that um so when i found her i introduced that to him and he he liked the connection between those genres
0: so what are you listening to now are there contemporary artists that you really enjoy are you someone that even in the year 2020 you're kind of diving into more throwback stuff what is in your rotation currently
1: sure um i would say first and foremost the music i listen to is all old Uh, I don't really keep up with the modern times. Uh, That makes
0: sense knowing you.
1: (laughs) I don't, I, yeah, I'm like an old man. Um (laughs) Well, you
0: were, you were falling asleep to Frank Sinatra at a young age. And when you said that, I was like, oh, that makes sense. That explains a ton of unanswered questions I had about Amy. That again, it wasn't like the soft tones that would normally put a child to bed it's frank fucking sinatra
1: yeah saying fly me to the moon um yes, and
0: take me there i'd like to get off of this planet right now but anyways what are you listening to right now what's in your rotation
1: um i love amy winehouse i love Ed james um i current of current music i really like this um kind of alternative band called rubble bucket um which actually your friend jake uh knows about i believe describe
0: Um, a rubble bucket to me because i am unfamiliar with them and you describe them as one alternative and two that jake knows them so i have a very hard time believing that i don't know them as well
1: so it's um really it wouldn't hearing their first few tunes you wouldn't think that i would be the type of person that would like it Mm -hmm. but because it's very like weird and um artsy like Very hippy-dippy, which is all good. Um, But what I like about them is their musical backing of, like, the trumpets and stuff has a 60s flair. Um, So, like, that influencing their, like, more modern lyrics uh, that are very abstract uh, is a cool tune to listen to.
0: You are someone that I, I look at as a very creative person. I like the work that you make but you have expressed concerns to me about maybe not being an artsy person. I know when you were first introduced to the cast of art school bandits that became your friends over the past five months, you were very concerned that most of them had septum piercings or tattoos or just looked like shit. Um,
1: <laughs> okay. I am not quoted saying looked like shit. I would just like to point that out there. It was heavily implied,
0: and I agree, which is the thing. So I think you're in safe territory here. But uh, what is it? Because, well, let, let's talk about it this way. Amy Winehouse, someone who struggled with addiction, very publicly had a lot of public breakdowns, You know, partially influ- influenced by the paparazzi and just the, the chaotic life she was living. But she was very open about it as well, and I think it was just all a, a combustible just element or a combustible recipe you yourself very organized very on top of things you love spreadsheets what is it about amy winehouse that is so appealing to you um
1: i think because amy winehouse knew from a very young age what she wanted to do in life um like she she said as a young girl um that she wanted people to hear her voice and like forget about their troubles. And I think that's something that I identify with. Like I knew since I was very, very little what I wanted to do um, and have always had that drive. So even though Amy, Amy Winehouse and Amy Olive are uh, very different people, we have similar paths in getting to what we want.
0: When you talk about an artist like Amy Winehouse or you talk about whatever the alternative band that you mentioned, Rubble Bucket or whatever their name was, or even the Grateful Dead, who, again, band I can't stand, but we'll work with them for this example, you know, very messy, very creative, very artistic and very open with these flaws and mistakes in the art they make. Do you find some sort of escapism in your you know, sort of perfectionist personality, do you gravitate towards artists that are maybe a little bit messy as a way to get out of that mindset?
1: Oh, completely. Um, yeah, definitely. And I would also say that these artists, their <laughs> their vocals are almost messy and how they like blend through the notes. Um, it isn't like a conventional beat by beat, um, which I I love that sound. And I think that reflects their the artist's own, personality, um, yeah, I would definitely say that I find it as an outlet.
0: You mentioned messy vocals, which brings me to a very important question that I have for you, because we talk a lot, but we don't necessarily talk about music all that much. Amy, in your mind, in your twisted mind, what kind of music do you think I typically listen to?
1: Um... (laughs)
0: And you can well, use adjectives, you can use nouns, you can use proper nouns. Whatever words come to mind, I'd like to hear them right now.
1: Well, what I find interesting, because I know you you sent me one music video of, of someone, I don't remember their name. And it was like very grungy, did not have a specific rhythm, felt to me all over the place um which was not escapism for me and i quite frankly found very surprising that that's what you liked because we're so similar i thought you would want something with a specific structure um so yeah i would say you like music that is dark grungy um angry men smashing instruments angry (laughs) men is huge you really
0: nailed it with angry men that is a key component of most of what i like i would say yes to all of those things i don't remember what i sent you i'm fascinated by what sick prank i could have pulled by sending you a song that i know you wouldn't have liked but yes i tend to like things that are a little bit abrasive That have some sort of message, whether it be socially or politically or emotionally. And I like a sense of passion to be conveyed, no matter what that is. And Amy Winehouse is someone who, I knew the hits, and we'll talk about the hits, but an artist... That you know, I kind of knew her story, Twenty Seven Club, Tortured Soul, and I'm not mocking when I say those things. Like that is just the aura that she gave off, and that is the way that her narrative is being told. But I was unfamiliar with anything beneath the surface. And over the past week, as I've given this Back to Black album, which came out on October 27, 2006, as I've given it, you know, listen after listen, I've become very intrigued by her and her overall story. Partially because, despite the fact that I hate jazz and I think it's a bullshit genre, I love 60s girl groups. Yeah, they're the best. And that is (laughs) something that Amy Winehouse was so heavily influenced by. It's something that artists that I'm a big fan of, uh, like the Ramones and the Smiths, they were hugely influenced by this type of music, even if their sound wasn't necessarily the same. It was very interesting for me to hear a more contemporary spin on a lot of these sonic ambitions that the girl groups of the 60s were going for. Now Amy Winehouse is singing you know, with those same tones beneath her, but it's very in-your-face. You can tell feminism has evolved with the way that Amy Winehouse is speaking about her own personal life. So I, I think I I left... This album with a lot of unanswered questions that maybe we'll figure out as we go along track by track through the album. And, you know, if we're going to do that, we have to start with the opening song, which is Rehab, which is the song that has defined Amy Winehouse. I mean, this is on your throwback playlist. This is on your boat playlist. This is on your feel-good playlist and your cry playlist. Like, Rehab has diversity in that aspect, Amy, how do we feel about the opening track?
1: Yeah. I mean, I, I don't know how I could not love it. I mean, it's, it's an iconic rhythm. The, uh, what I find really interesting about it is that it's the lyrics are so sad and that she, she doesn't want to get help. Um, at, but, but that the beat is so upbeat and positive, um, is, uh, interesting juxtaposition to the the music backing um and it's ironic i think that uh a song about rehab for someone who uh died of an overdose is what made her famous um i think that's yes that's a very
0: uh unfortunate irony in that sense i agree with you i think Well, I agree with you on part of that. I think the music on this track specifically, I mean, this feels like a big-time single. I think sonically, it is the high point of the record. I really like the instrumentation that's involved in this song particularly, but throughout the album, yes, there's you know, sort of a jazzy undertone at times, and it dips into blues a little bit. There's sort of a first-wave ska influence at times, which I can take or leave, but the entire package together... I really, really like. The one thing about Rehab that I was kind of surprised by is the simplicity of the song, and that doesn't necessarily make it a bad thing, but I found the chorus to be a little gimmicky and for it to fall flat a little bit. And I think where Amy shines is the bluntness of her lyrics. And I think there are a few songs on this album where she's so direct and forward that I, I was taken aback by it. I was really fascinated by it. Rehab, almost in a way, feels like it could have been a parody of an Amy Winehouse song because it is so direct. But I feel like it falls flat a little bit, and I don't know what that is I don't know, I mean, do you consider yourself to be a hardcore Amy Winehouse fan and you just connect to it on that level? I mean, what, you know, explain this song to me because I, you know, I knew the song, but I didn't come away loving this one.
1: I, I, I am a hardcore Winehouse fan. I, it is not my favorite of her songs. Um, and I think part of that is because her other maybe lesser known songs ha- are filled with very personal lyrics. A lot of them go into metaphors um, that are a bit more dark. Um, and I think because rehab is so blunt and plain and simple, and that, no, I don't want to go to rehab, it maybe feels a bit fake because it's just so plain and less like deep into her soul.
0: Almost. When is the first time that you remember hearing Amy Winehouse? What age were you? Because I mean, this album came out in 2006. You had been, what, seven years old when it came out? You yourself at seven, knowing what I know from you, you could have loved this album at seven. That wouldn't have surprised me. But when do you remember like identifying as an Amy Winehouse fan?
1: Definitely high school is where I, I mean, I may have heard it before, but I definitely became uh, a follower uh, in high school.
0: Interesting. As we go into track two, this was another single on the album. This is, you know, I'm no good. I found the juxtaposition of Winehouse's songwriting mixed with the production behind it to be very interesting because I think this album is sort of split into two different camps, and you have these big epics, these singles that feel monstrous, and there's a narrative to them, and then you have these kind of girly songs that just on the surface are very feminine and i and I tended I tend to like those a lot, and I think You Know I'm No Good falls into that category. Amy, how do we feel about track two?
1: Yeah, that's my favorite, uh, most favorite of her all her songs. Um, I love uh, this one. Um, I think I really like how personal the lyrics are, uh, how much they're filled with metaphors. I love the way her vocals slide through the notes. Um, it's very easy, easy to listen to, and she shows off great notes, but it sounds so easy.
0: That's something about the song. I was surprised to read that it was a single because it was one that I was unfamiliar with going in. It is so subtle and so like downtrodden at times that I, I was very surprised that it had any sort of success in America because American pop music, and this will sound pretentious, but too bad, but American pop music for the most part is is... It has to be so in your face and obvious and clear that this is a verse and this is a chorus and this is the bridge and we're going to repeat the chorus this amount of times and the Wait, song like, structure like,
1: like rehab like yes rehab.
0: Yeah, yeah rehab makes sense like I understand that I, this song was was one of those that was very striking to me and one that I continued to listen to throughout the week and it was very enjoyable every time I would hear it because ultimately Amy Winehouse is one of those people that I, I find her dichotomy very interesting as music moves towards sort of a you know at times a genreless place that Amy Winehouse is looked at as in some you know fringe circles you know she's a punk legend and other you know in other circles she's what indie music is but in reality she's just a really great pop star that had something to say and it's a shame that we don't have more of those.
1: Right what I think is so interesting about her is that she takes 60s music that is a genre genre that's particularly known for not being uh i guess an example of feminism um really giving women like a, a voice um while there were a ton of famous female musicians what they were singing about wasn't nearly as personal as what amy sings about um so i think it's really cool that she takes that genre and gives it a new modern female spin to it, uh, a new story. Um I mean talking about cheating and how she's like so awful of a human is not something you would have heard <laughs> in the 60s. It's
0: even through 2020 years, it's a little surprising at times of just how in your face she is about kind of being a bad person at times. I find it to be very interesting.
1: Yeah, I mean, that's probably why I loved her in high school. I love
0: her now. (laughs) Is that, Amy, is that because you were a mean girl in high school?
1: Uh, um, I think something Winehouse and I share is that we're very blunt and honest. And some people just don't like that or get it. Uh, (laughs) Yeah. So uh I don't. Sometimes you, <laughs> that could be interpreted as mean. <laughs> that
0: is, I loved that answer. That was so odd brand of who I think Amy Olive is. Amy, I do want to ask you because I have friends that you know I consider to be my punk friends. I have friends that are super into hip hop, and I, I I identify with them there. I have my indie friends, my friends that like good indie music, my friends that like bad indie music. I lump them in all together. I don't know, and especially because you don't listen to a lot of contemporary music, like, I don't have a scene in mind for you. I guess I consider you to be a musical kid, and most of those kids aren't my friends, and you've somehow scurried your way into my life. Amy, how are you discovering new music, whether it's new or old?
1: Sure, well, I get what you're saying. Uh, as one myself, musical theater kids are completely obnoxious. Uh, <laughs> so I get uh, what you're saying there. Um, new music comes, I would say, from listening to these older artists and sort of going through a rabbit hole online to find more modern ones. Like Amy Winehouse, I think I was reading about an older artist and someone comparing her to Winehouse, and that's how I found her. Um, and like on, on Winehouse's Wikipedia page, they say that she influenced. Influenced Duffy so like that's how I found her um so yeah I would say like going through a rabbit hole is how I find new new artists
0: we're two songs in the album at this point track three is a song called me and mr. jones and I should note before we break down mr. jones you know rehab is fine and then I really liked the song that followed me and mr. jones I have some issues with so amy I will give you the chance first to either defend the song or agree with me in saying maybe it's a swing and a mess.
1: Yeah, yeah. So, hi, okay. What I like about it is uh, it's harmony. Um, I like the sax and the trumpet. Um, I think it's, <laughs> it kind of has this very pretty harmony in the beginning and then she hits it with what kind of fuckery is this <laughs> she says which I, I don't know if i like or just i i find it really hard hitting uh and i mean it really wakes me up when i'm on a long drive <laughs> this is the
0: one song well that's not true there's two songs there are two songs on this album that never got there for me. There are a few songs on this album that the first time I heard them, I was like, eh, I I, I don't know. But the album grew on me. I, I was telling somebody before I recorded today, like, yeah, you know, I'm doing an Amy Winehouse episode, and I'm still not sure if I like the album or not. I've determined I like the album, but Mia Mr. Jones was one of those songs that just, I could not get through it. It was one of those that I made up my mind early that this song is not for me. I think it's a little too jazzy. I think it's a little too scattered all over the place. There's no, there's nothing for me to latch onto. And I also just don't like Winehouse's vocals of this song. I think you know, my, my professional analysis, if you would, would be she sounds weird and I don't like it.
1: well i find it funny that you say that she's so scattered because the music you listen to is so uh, has no pattern whatsoever
0: (laughs) i would disagree with that i love a good anthemic chorus i just think a lot of the music i like is delivered in such an aggressive manner that may, maybe 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 just to turn this around on you maybe it's not my problem maybe you just can't pick up on the subtleties of what i'm listening to have you ever thought about that
1: yeah i, I guess i i can't <laughs> find the subtleties in
0: angry men i don't we're <laughs> I complex don't think creatures I- amy <laughs> angry men are so complex and they need to be handled delicately <laughs> so they don't become more angry just keep that in mind as we move into track four. Just Friends is, speaking of Angry Men, uh, a song about possibly platonic relationships, maybe wanting to be a little bit more. I felt like the song was uh, one that I could relate to in a way. A lot, of, a lot of my friendships in my mind are will they, won't they, and then it comes out later that it's clearly been a, now nah, we won't. So Amy, track four. <laughs> Does this one hit close to close to home for you or is that just my problem?
1: Yeah, I would say, yeah. In in high school, I definitely identified with this one. Um, I, I really like how she has a steady beat throughout the song, even though the lyrics are implying that like life is not so steady between these two people, I think is interesting. Um,
0: this track, I think more than any other, has like a definitive ska sound to it and not necessarily like the No Doubt Mighty Mighty Boss Tones, like third wave American ska. If we're going to break it down to that degree, which Amy, I knew when I said Mighty Mighty Boss Tones, I was like, yes, Amy thinks I'm so cool that I know a 90s band. She has to love my older references. Um, but this, I mean, Amy Winehouse talked about, you know, a lot about how she was influenced by a band like The Specials. I feel like the instrumentation on the song is very uh of a the special sound and normally ska is a genre that you know any wave of it I don't typically agree with or like, but I have to say Just Friends is one of the songs that I really enjoy really enjoyed. And then Amy, we hit the title track, we hit track five, we hit Back to Black. Amy, I was floored by this song. I don't know if I had ever heard it before I started listening to the album for this podcast to me, this is the greatness that pop musicians should be striving for. This is an Epic. This is a journey. This is what I want from a top 40 chart topper. Amy, I loved this song.
1: I'm so glad to hear that case. Uh <laughs> That is why it got the title of the album. Um, I I also love it. I think what's interesting is it's really not that complex in like the musical writing or the singing of it. I mean the rhythm sounds like she's just trudging along step after step. There's no real build up to something, um, and there's no like iconic note hitting of any kind. Uh, it's really just a, a old vintage sound. Um, I think. Um, so it's really interesting that something that doesn't have such a big boom in it uh, became so popular and is so iconic.
0: It feels really dramatic and it never really lost that edge. Every time I listened to it, I think the simplicity of the note she hits backed with this, this track that, you know, has some strings in it during the chorus it has some guitar filtered in throughout. It's, really heavy instrumentation. I mean, it feels close to a cinematic score. I mean, an instrumental version of this could be in the background of a CW teen drama, and it would make the show legitimate at that point. I mean, it really has some power to it. Vocally, it wouldn't be an episode if I didn't mention Stephen Patrick Morrissey. It has that sort of alternative feel to it lyrically and vocally that I really, really like, where... There's never that real big payoff. Like there's a definitive chorus in this song, but it leaves me wanting more. And I, I was I was so impressed with this song. It's not my favorite on the album, mind you. There's one I like even more than this. But from a production standpoint, I think I can say this is not my favorite song on the album, but I think this is the best song on the album. Among Amy Winehouse fans, is this considered to kind of be the peak of her abilities, or is there a song elsewhere, maybe on another album, that I should be checking out?
1: I, I would say that this is is uh, pretty high up there. I mean, it is a single on its own, too, uh, um, which is so interesting because, um, you know, I'm not good at rehab, are also singles, and the three of them are so vastly different Um, that I just think it it exemplifies how big of a range Amy has. There are five
0: singles on Back to Black, and the track that follows Love is a Losing Game is one of them. Amy, you have recently been indoctrinated into my... Well, a lot of people hear about my relationship problems. Where are you
1: going with this?
0: Just hang on here. Hang on. I promise there will be a payoff. A lot of people hear about my relationship problems. You are now in the small circle of people that I am asking legitimate advice from. And something that I have heard recently – Is that I'm a little too competitive when it comes to relationships and that I treat love like a sport. And so Amy saying that, Amy Winehouse saying that love is a losing game, once again, cut deep with me, uh, felt like slightly a personal attack. But the good news, the good news is that it's another song that I really enjoyed on this album. It's a two part question, Amy. Your thoughts on the song? Also, do you think I take love uh, too competitively? Am I treating love like a sport?
1: Uh, well, I'll start with the, the second question there. Naturally. I, I, I don't think it's, it's bad to take love as a sport. I mean, in high school, I, and this is not surprising, I basically had like a checklist of things I had to do before college. One of them was like find a boyfriend, fall in love. Um, so I too get the the game mindset.
0: Amy, uh, can I ask a, a personal question real quick? Sure. What age were you when you had your first kiss?
1: I think I was in either eighth grade or a freshman in high school.
0: Damn! All right.
1: What age that's, that is? That's
0: like thirteen or fourteen. That's like a normal age for a first kiss. I was kind of hoping you were going to be on my side. You were going to be like, oh, I was 18 when I had my first because I was a senior in high school about to graduate when someone was finally like, yeah, sure, knock yourself out. Uh, But no, Amy, it looks like our paths diverged there. It looks like you had a bit more of a normal childhood than I did, which is disappointing. But your thoughts on the song as it relates to Amy Winehouse's Back to Black
1: Well, I mean, it certainly goes with my mindset of checking off the boxes at each age. So, like, don't feel bad. It was definitely me being like, oh, you're good looking enough here and smacking my lips on him.
0: (laughs) Oh, I am just looking for that person that says, oh, you're good looking enough. That is such a huge win for me if I can get that at some point.
1: Um, But back to the song. Um, I I think it's really interesting. I mean, what she's saying here is like, y'all. Um, end up being a loser. So does it even matter if you try? Like, is it worth the ride? Is love like worth the ride? Um, and I think the drums and the singing are very sweet despite uh the sadness that the lyricism is implying. Um, I really like the song,
0: Amy. We're halfway through the album at this point. It's eleven songs that clocks in at thirty four minutes. Of the five songs left, there's Tears Dry on Their Own, Wake Up Alone, Some Unholy War, He Can Only Hold Her, and Addicted. Knowing what you think about my music, which of these next five songs do you think is my favorite on the album?
1: I would say Wake Up Alone. (laughs) Because I just feel like it's one that you would relate to.
0: Okay, and so that hurt my feelings. I
1: don't, mean, I don't mean that with any judgment. I just. No, really, you were speaking facts. You, you really liked the somberness of, um, of just friends and how that had such a lonely tone. So I think you would like one that literally has the word alone in the title. Amy, I
0: respect your hypothesis, there is an if-then-because statement there, and I can't knock you on that academically, but I do have to let you know that that answer is incorrect. My favorite song on the album is the one that follows Love is a Losing Game. It is Tears Dry on Their Own, which features a sample of the Marvin Gaye Ain't No Mountain High Enough. Amy, I love a good crooner. I love Morrissey. I love Sandy Shaw. I love Elvis. I love Danzig. I I have a wide range of crooners that I really enjoy. But for Amy Winehouse, who is now on that list, because I've determined through this podcast I like Amy Winehouse now, this song is not that, though. This song is upbeat there's uh, it feels like the closest thing to a rock song on the album even though there's guitars laid throughout the album and they're not really present in this song the drums and the hard-hitting nature and the intensity of this song feels more akin to what i would typically listen to i also find the statement tears dry on their own to be hilarious so i relate to the humor of this song more so than the somberness of wake up alone Amy, am I out to lunch here? Thinking this is just a great song?
1: No, I I also love this one. Um, with the the you're right, the main chord progression of um, Ain't No Mountain High um, is a is a cool nod back to her um, influences. Um, I I think the lyricism is super cool. Um, telling herself over and over again, like just to, to stop doing this, is uh repetitive message
0: throughout the album. Um, there's a line in the song, I don't understand why do I stress the man when there's so many bigger things at hand, which, you know, is one of those, you know, we I mean, we were just joking about it that I, I take, you know, relationships very seriously and that there's maybe a competitive edge to it. But as we sit here now talking during what has been a very uh, intense week politically and just with everything that is going on in the world, I do have to... Look in the mirror sometimes and think, like, why, why is this what I'm caught up on when there are bigger issues at hand? And it's such a simple statement. It's one that has been made before and will be made again. But the way Amy attacks it so directly, it was the line more than anything that stuck out to me on this album. Amy nods and agrees, which is all of the satisfaction I need as we go to Wake Up Alone, which is what follows, which is the song that, if listeners remember from two minutes ago, Amy did hurt my feelings (laughs) when talking about. I will say, I just talked about how Tears Dry on Their Own is, uh, it strays away, I think, vocally from what Amy was doing on the album for the most part. She is in Croon Central here. This is... Again, a sound that I really like. Not my favorite song, Amy, but it's a song that I like. Is it a song that you like, too? I know you're not used to waking up alone. You're surrounded by so many lovely people. But can you find it in your heart to relate to this song?
1: Keith, I like you. I'm a loner. I don't know why you think I'm, like, mispopular. I don't like many people.
0: You mean the girl that had a checklist in high school of all the things she had to do wasn't super popular? (laughs)
1: Uh, yeah i i love it i think even when when you're with someone things can get lonely so um i i think this song can relate to anyone whether they're in a relationship or not um especially people right now with covid who are probably like long distance like
0: probably very relatable Amy Winehouse ahead of her time writing the perfect COVID love song I think the undying romanticism of Winehouse and her lyrics continue in some unholy war which is a song more than any other song on the album that it took me a little bit to get into because there's no chorus on the song, it's very simple. It's it's plain, but it, you know, I it, there's enough there for me to be to grab onto something, to latch onto something. But it's a simple song given the other songs on the album. But by the end of it, I actually think it's some of her finest songwriting on the album. I think it's very anthemic as to who Amy was as a person, someone that was steadfast in their beliefs, maybe to a fault, but there was an undying loyalty there that I think is really nice.
1: Yeah, I I read something about her. Um, I I had gone, I had visited London once, and there was a museum about Amy. Um, funny enough, uh, above uh, at the top level of a Jewish history museum, um, right up your
0: alley. Your two favorite so, things.
1: So, like above the uh, all the the sh- shoes they piled up. museum, <laughs> the next level was an Amy Winehouse shrine um
0: please don't mention the shoes after i make a joke that makes me feel so bad oh amy no (laughs) well
1: anyway so the in this amy winehouse shrine um there was a whole area that talked about how intelligent she was and how she was really well read and things um and it said that this song um was influenced by um a radio broadcast she had heard about the war in afghanistan um, which which influenced the, um, the the song's term of, of holy war, um, which I think is super interesting and a little tidbit of the song that most people probably don't know. Um, and most people probably don't think she's well-read or intelligent because that's just the stereotype of people who battle with addiction that people think.
0: Yeah, that's an unfortunate stereotype because I... I mean, I'm not patting myself on the back, but that's interesting that people would think of Amy Winehouse as not a very intelligent person because I can tell just from just the, I mean, the way this album is produced and maybe I'm, you know, attaching art to somebody too much, you know, something that I I battle with. But to me, Amy Winehouse seems like an incredibly well-read, incredibly thoughtful person. Uh, And it's, you know, it's a shame we don't have her making more music because she's someone that, Again, lyrically, like we talked about, was so far ahead of their time. And I think He Can Only Hold Her is the best example of that. A song that wasn't a single, which shocked me because it's really upbeat, it's really loud, it's really brash. It actually sort of instrumentally reminded me of like a crazy in love type song, which is funny because lyrically it is, you know, so not that, which is for the best because. I've got a whole anti-Beyonce thing I'm not going to do now. And it's just because of her music. I, you know, it's just not for me, but, you know, Amy's so in your face about just, you know, the feminine aspects of her life and her as a woman in this modern world. And I loved it. I thought the song was great.
1: Yeah. I think this is another song that points to what I was saying earlier about taking uh, the sixties genre and putting a modern female spin on it. For sure. Um, I mean, she in the lyrics, she she has one line where she says um, he tries to pacify her, but what's inside her never dies is, like, iconic. Amy, that uh, is the line
0: I had in my notes. We are back on the same page, because that is a great, great line.
1: Yeah, yeah. So, I really like
0: Amy, we've talked about 10 songs on an 11-song album. I told you. On track three, me and Mr. Jones, I said, Amy, there's two songs on this album that are not for me. And (sighs) there has been nine that I've liked, which leaves us with track 11, which is Addicted. And I want to say about this song, it has nothing to do with the fact that I do throw up those exes. I am straight edge. It has nothing to do with that or... Because I'm not anti-drug. I just don't choose that as, you know, my own life. But people can do whatever they want as as long as they're not harming anyone, including themselves. This song is so cheesy and so off-putting, and it's a shame that this song is on an album that I otherwise think is very good. Now, Amy... Before I throw it to you, you are someone who has told me multiple times and you have used this exact phrasing, I don't care how inebriated someone is, Amy's a huge fan of the word inebriated, she throws it out all the time, does addicted bother you because it's very in your face about Amy being so 420 friendly?
1: Yes. Yeah, so a little background on what case is saying here is uh, i i don't care uh how intoxicated you got last weekend i just i don't care for people blabbering on about it uh like i don't really give a shit um so so i i do think this song is a bit uh like braggy about uh <laughs> how, she does seem to be bragging a little bit um, to drugs, yes. although I kind of like that she's like, calling out this guy for s- stealing her weed. Like,
0: I guess I we all we all have our causes, you know. If you're uh, gonna call out weed theft, more power to you.
1: Right. Um, I, I I like I like the the um, steady beat of the song, though. I will say,
0: I think it's unfortunate that the album ends on that note because it's a song that you know aside from the theme of it which I, I just i you know it doesn't connect with me in any way but i just it it felt like it could have been a b-side it felt like it could have been an outtake i think this album even with me and mr jones which i didn't like at all i can see why that deserves a spot on the album i think this song was you know not necessary and i think it's a shame that the album ended on that note i think Just when we look at, you know, the album as a whole and how we talk about the greatest albums produced, and this is something that, you know, Rolling Stone has and their guide of albums to listen to Before You Die, you know, Amy Winehouse is one of those few people that was able to amass commercial success on a large scale, but also... You know, reviews of this album, you know, yes, she got a 6.4 on Pitchfork, but she also got an A- minus from the AV Club and a 3 out of 5 on Rolling Stone. There was critical success that came with this album. Amy, you are a bit of a critic yourself, just on life. Uh, I hear you criticize a lot of things for sure. So I have to ask you, if you had to put... A rating on this album from one to ten, with ten obviously being the best. Because if I hate, I hate that I have to describe that. But just so there's no questions, ten is the best. What What rating are you giving this album?
1: I would say an eight. An eight. Okay. I, I'm biased. I she's my favorite. That's artist. fine.
0: No, be biased here. This is not a serious news network. You could be biased.
1: Um, I think what I really like about her is that I mean, part of it is that her vocal range is in my vocal range so I
0: oh you don't say
1: yes um well uh so I like love I guess I I could say I felt confident singing along with her in the car um so so perhaps that's why I I rate her so high um
0: Amy what's your top Amy Winehouse singing the car song what are you belting out with the windows down and the sunroof open
1: you know, I'm no good. It's, it's a classic. It's my favorite.
0: That's good. The three days a year that it's nice out in Maine, and it's not too windy, rainy, or cold. I'm sure you really enjoy that. Um, Amy, that takes us to the end of the show. And I have to ask you, because, you know, you said you discovered Amy Winehouse in high school. You're a very methodical person. You're very cerebral. You had a checklist of things you wanted to do. And yet you relate to an artist that was so publicly chaotic and destructive at times put yourself in the shoes of of you when you first heard this album and i must ask who needs to hear this album and why
1: yeah i would say a uh, winehouse came to me at a time where i felt very chaotic inside even if my life wasn't um so and i think honestly i think she also had feelings like that too of um just like lots of thoughts in her head um so i think this people who have a lot of thoughts running in their head lots of internal conflict should definitely listen to her um because she really lets all her feelings out in the lyrics and through the soulful way she sings
0: amy we talked at the top of the show about no bits in the bedroom which can be found at comedy studies spring 2020 showcase.com oh my god it's unbelievable where else can people find you? What do you have to plug? Do you have anything going on right now that you want to tell people?
1: Sure, right. I have a YouTube channel uh, titled Amy uh, Olive. That's O-L-L-O-V-E. Uh, not like the food. Uh, so you can check me out there.
0: Do you have uh, a lot of good content there? Is there anything I should check out? I'm unfamiliar with your YouTube channel.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's got lots of uh, funny bits on it, lots of monologues. Funny bits is good enough for me, Amy. I'm sold
0: on your YouTube channel. I'm pretty sure I'm sold on Amy Winehouse. I think I like her as I exit this podcast And I am glad that we were able to sit down and talk for an hour. As always, you can find me on both Twitter and Instagram at underscore case low C-A-S-E L-O-W-E. You can find the podcast itself at Art School Albums on Instagram. Amy, once again, Amy Olive, I'd like to thank you once again for coming on the Art School Albums podcast. This has been Amy Winehouse's Back to Black.